When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but an excellent one. Paul Feinbaum is the host of the aptly named The Paul Feinbaum Show. That can be heard on ESPN Radio, SEC Network, Sirius XM Channel 81, from Monday to Friday, from 3 to 7 p.m. And I took in his show, obviously, in the days after Saban retired, and uh, it was fascinating radio. Uh, I mean, especially for me, you know, someone who grew up in New York. Um, it's just, it's it's really interesting, and it's entertaining, and uh, I can't, when a, when a big story in the SEC happens, I cannot recommend Feinbaum's show enough. I mean, really, any big story in college football, I would say. And so we discuss all sorts of things regarding Nick Saban, including the prospect of him working at ESPN, which both Paul and I think is essentially a fait complete. So about uh, 40 minutes with Paul Feinbaum. We're also going to have a couple clips of uh, some of the greatest calls from his show. And as I have written before, um, Phyllis from Mulga, Phyllis uh, Perkins, the late Phyllis Perkins, I think has the greatest uh, sports talk call of all time. And, uh, and we'll play that for you as well in case you have not heard it. So Paul Feinbaum of ESPN coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, really a gentleman does not need any introduction. I'll give him one here. Paul Feinbaum hosts the aptly named The Paul Feinbaum Show, which can be heard on ESPN Radio, the SEC Network simulcast, Sirius XM Channel 81, as well as affiliates, radio affiliates around the South, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. His show, of course, is... uh, Sort of, I would say the the uh, the record when it comes to SEC football. In addition to hosting the Paul Feinbaum show, he's a commentator on SEC Nation. Appears on many many ESPN platforms: First Take, Get Up, Sports Center, College Football Live, etc. Also, a New York Times best-selling author, and now he's here in, on this uh, low-budget podcast, and we we appreciate uh, him coming on. Welcome, Paul Feinbaum. It is my pleasure. I, I I feel like Jim Miller must not have been available this week. So thanks for the call. Yeah, I've I've used you know I have an allotment like a cash allotment for Jim <laughs> Miller, and I've it's already over by January fifteenth, Paul. It's we're 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 like I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him back in twenty twenty four for whatever happens at ESPN. Um, all right. So here's what I the the reason I want you to come on, and I mean you'd be a great guest at any time, but um, I'm so fascinated by Nick Saban retiring. Because it's so impactful in one part of the country, your part of the country, 
but definitely not as impactful like where I grew up in New York. And so let's sort of start here. Um, how did your callers react to him stepping away? Because there won't be a bigger coach stepping away in our lifetime for your audience. It was a shock, uh, Richard, even though it probably shouldn't have been. Uh, because, and, and I'm a little too close to the sun. Uh, I have the fortune of, or misfortune of being old enough to have covered the end of Paul Bryant. Uh, so it, it, I, I've, I've seen this before. Uh, and so, so I mean, I, a lot of younger uh, callers just simply uh, couldn't handle it. It was, uh, it was overwhelming. Uh, and, and I had to remind myself sometimes that we were talking about someone who was alive and healthy at 72, as opposed to had passed away. And I had a, I had a friend, uh, the story broke on Wednesday afternoon, and I'll, I'll go through that in a second, but I had a friend later on, a, a physician, who's, who's actually a friend of my wife's, who texted me that night saying, are you are you okay? I watched you, and you were you seemed distraught. You seemed, <laughs> I'm just concerned about your health. I said, I'm fine. I'm, I, I promise you, everything is okay. I, I, this is what we do. But, but that, I, it was that kind of tone, uh, and and it was expected. Uh, I mean, this guy... Uh, has done it all. And, and, and I, I brought up Coach Bryant uh, a minute ago, Richard, because I'll never forget uh, on December 15th, 1982. Yeah, you do remember these things. Uh, walking out of the press conference in Tuscaloosa as a 26-year-old reporter, uh, kind of going outside to catch my breath for a second because I, I, was, I, was, I was in a deep state of, of shock and depression that the biggest story of my life had just ended uh, before my career had even uh, reached 30 and I thought it would, I would never cover anything bigger. And then here I was last Wednesday afternoon doing the same thing about the same school and, and someone who will likely be regarded as a better coach, if that's even possible. Wow. Where, um, when Paul Bear Bryant uh, retired, where were you working? Where were you writing? What were you, who were you writing for? I was a reporter for, for the, the Birmingham Post-Herald. Uh, so that was my beat. And the story broke on a, late on a Tuesday night. I was I was I had taken a few days off. The season was over, and you were trying to catch your breath. And I got a call, so I ran down. To, I mean, this this sounds crazy now, but you've worked for news. I ran down to the newspaper about ten o'clock at night. And Richard, it's a it's a night that's uh, just really uh, in, in, embedded in my mind. What did, I called Coach Bryant's house. I mean, th that's how things have changed. Where you could never do that now. I got a hold of his of his wife, uh, Mary Harmon Bryant, and, and I said, uh, you know, we're reporting. That she said, well, that, I don't know if that's true or not. Coach is out recruiting. I said, well, uh, you know, we're, you, know she, you might want to correct me. She said, well, just do it, whatever, do what you think is best. <laughs> so I, we we had we broke the story. It was, you know, as you can imagine, uh, you know, six columns across the top of the front page. And the whole city in shock. Um, but what was interesting about that, he, 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 the retirement was on the 15th. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to get too deep into stories. I got a call that night uh, about 1130 from uh, he, Joseph Vecchione, who was the executive sports editor to the New York Times. And he goes, he said, he said, I, we, I, he said, what do you got? I, I said, well, I figured I better be nice to this guy. Maybe he'll hire me one day. Uh, I said, well, we're, we're reporting uh, that Brian is, is stepping down and that Ray Perkins, the head coach of the New York Giants, is taking his place. And he goes, no blanking way. He said, you're out of your mind. I said, I don't know, Joe. I really felt pretty comfortable with this story. <laughs> and, of course, the, ne the next morning he called me and asked me if I could string for him uh, the press conference announcing Perkins. 
I love that. Uh, wow, 26, man. That's a lot of pressure on a 26-year-old to uh, to write that piece. Um, I, will, I will get to Kellen DeBoer in a second, but the the I listened to some of your shows um, after Saban uh, retired, and the the tenor was like a state funeral in many ways. I, I would say, like in terms of the the call, it was great and entertaining, especially for someone who's not part of this world, but um, would you describe it as that, like m- more more sadness than um, than uh, I don't know, like th- less like thanks for the journey and more. Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I will. I'll offer this. I don't want to act like I knew it was going to happen, but I was prepared because I've been following the story very closely, and I'd seen uh, Nick Saban a couple of times this year, and every time it just seemed a little bit different. Now, I got a call. I don't mean to go into long, drawn-out stories, but I got a call the day after the championship game, the SEC game in early December from one of his coaches, somebody I've been friends with a long time. And he said, you better better keep your eye on on Nick. He said, uh, he told me the other day he's tired. I, I think he's going to quit. And I'm, so I was, I, 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 I didn't want to go too much on that because you, you say Nick Saban's going to quit on a program like mine and you'll, you'll have to, you'll have to fight your way to the microphone. So I watched him closely, uh, during the, the trip to Pasadena. And then the next Wednesday, the game was on Monday on Wednesday on, on get up Greenberg, you know, goes, you know, could this have been the end of Nick Saban? And I said, I, I believe Monday in, in, in Pasadena was his swan song. And Richard, uh, uh, Marcus Spears was on the set in New York. He came out of his chair, say, that's absurd. There's no, he's never quitting. And Stephen A., before I even looked down at my phone, had had said, Paul Feinbaum, you're completely wrong. Uh, and uh, I mean, and at that point, you really don't know what to do because you're, you're, got, you're having to fight a guy. Marcus played for him. Stephen A., I don't need to tell you. Um, so I just, I kind of laid down on that, but I was watching, I still, I still told my, my guys, I recorded two different essays on Monday of the week he retired in case he retired. I mean, we were we were in in retirement mode in the event that it happened. You know how it is. You got to, you know, Nick Saban's retired. Let's go to uh, Jeremy Schaap. I mean, you know, two seconds later. Um, so when it happened, it was it was five oh eight on Wednesday. Uh, we, my, our group in the, in the control room, like yelled, we, we think Saban, I, I said, so I got, I went, I, they took me off the air for a second. I said, calm down. Let's go to a break. I'm, I'm not about to report something like this until I have a, you know, a chance to, to take a deep breath. So we took a break. We saw it was Chris Lowe from ESPN. We called Lowe. We said, let him come on the air first. Uh, so, so at that moment, we had another almost two hours of the show. We just went wall to wall. We went guest after guest. We had Mandel from the Athletic and Nicole Arabak and uh, Pat Forty. I mean, we just—I just told the guys. I said, "Just flood." It, it's an old Hal Rings line from the New York Times. I said, "Just flood the zone. Uh, we're not taking calls. This is too important. I don't need some caller asking me about uh, something other than this." Uh, and it, I mean, it was, it was a tough call because I knew the callers wanted to get on, but I, I just felt like this is breaking news, but, and that's how we did it. And, and I, I've never been prouder of our group. I mean, they handled it. Uh, I mean, I've been there before, uh, in a couple of situations, obviously in the newspaper business and, and, you know, working on nine 11 and all the things that you and others have done, but, uh, they were brilliant. Uh, and, uh, it, it was, a, it was just one of those rare moments that you have in this field where everybody was spectacular. 
I wish you would have just let one Oklahoma City Thunder caller call, call in just to talk about like <laughs> Shea Gilgis Alexander. Just change the content up. Um, so one of the things that's interesting to me, again, total outsider here, is that um, we haven't seen the insanity that usually um, happens in college football with coaching searches with Kellen DeBoer, who it seems to me, generally speaking, was hired fairly quickly, came in. like It wasn't the all-day Twitter, let's follow the plane kind of stuff. And so how is that plan? Whether he's successful or not is another conversation. But in terms of sort of the media aspect, Paul, of the hiring, how have you seen it from your end? Yeah, I mean, the the name that everyone jumped on, including me, was Dan Lanning. Uh, yeah, was, right. Because it just seemed uh, he had worked under Saban. Uh, landing it. Uh, I, I saw him two years ago at the draft, and he said, "I got, I got to play this." He played me a, a voicemail he saved of Nick Saban offering him a job as a graduate assistant on his staff. Um, I don't know what happened there, uh, but I think it came down to two people: uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State and and uh, DeBoer. But it was hard. It was hard not to hire DeBoer because of his credentials. And yeah, I mean, there, there's a million reasons why he will be successful and there's a there's an equal number why he won't. Uh, but it was handled very well. The most interesting thing was uh, Saturday at, at his press conference right there in the front row was Nick and Terry Saban. I mean, I don't know uh, that that would have made me want to go hide behind the podium. <laughs> the for some for a story like this. And again, this is. I mean, even Belichick, I think this is a bigger story just sort of nationally in terms of Saban retiring than Belichick moving on because Belichick's going to coach again. Um, how long for a show like yours does this be? Does this continue to be the main topic until people then start to talk about, all right, Paul, what's Georgia's look like next year? You know, what's what's Mississippi State look like? How How long do you think this goes at least as a main topic of your show? A very long time. Wow. Uh, because there, there, there are a thousand questions. And I mean, the audience, uh, Nick Saban wasn't just a football coach. Uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was part of uh, the soul of, of this conference. No, nobody's ever been uh, as successful. And, and I say that uh, because I saw, I saw some of the, you know, covering Bryant was traumatic. Uh, I mean, I was, I was a young guy. Uh, he was an old man. By the way, he was only, he was only 69 when he was so one thing about Brian, Richard, not to, to digress, but he, his resig- his retirement was on the 15th. His last game was on December 29th. He died on January 26th. So you had this compression of time where it, it and, the, and the death was it was it was it was Elvis like. Uh, I mean, I, I got I I, I'll tell you one quick story about the death. Not that we were here for that, but so I'm covering it. And, and I'm working for new, the the inferior newspaper. So they just said, just go cover the funeral and then cover the procession back to Birmingham. That's 55 miles. Um, there was no, I had to literally break into the procession on the, on the interstate, which was which went on for a mile a mile and a half with you know buses and cars and players. But it was the only way to see it all, and I did it. Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, I admit that now. It took me about twenty years before I told anybody. I literally broke into a, a funeral procession, but uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, driving down the, the interstate. Uh, and ever there were an estimated seven hundred fifty thousand people, but on this fifty-five mile, especially as you got to Birmingham, where the funeral was going to be. And every on the overpasses, you would see signs. You know, we love you, Coach. We miss you. Uh, even uh, dogs are. Uh, I mean, I it was. I, and I was talking to a cassette. 
uh, tape recorder and I found myself talking to myself as I'm driving to keep the notes because I couldn't take notes and, and tears are running down my cheek. I, I say that because this was a little different. Um, this is a man who is three years older. And by the way, I'm only four years older than Saban. So it, a lot of things start going through your mind as you're talking about somebody and, and you're thinking some of the same thoughts. I mean, you're, 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 it's, I'm no longer at the beginning of my career. I think that's a, that's not exactly breaking news on this podcast. Uh, and it was really, uh, I, I thought a lot about that. I, I felt for him, you know, I mean, I think we all know he's probably going into TV. That, that's a fait accompli, but, um, TV is not, <laughs> I don't hate to break it to anyone, but you know, being on TV is not quite being the head coach at Alabama. So let's get into that. It's a great segue. You're producing the show, Paul. I appreciate that. Um, so I would be absolutely stunned if Nick Saban were not at ESPN uh, in short order. I would probably be stunned, but let's sort of, uh, you know, dial, you know, lowercase s as opposed to capital S if he's not on college game day. Uh, the one thing about your employer – They've really made no secret about this. Nick Saban is one of the people they have wanted to hire forever. It's sort of a dream hire for them. I think they would love him to be on college game day, but they would obviously take him as a studio analyst. They would take him as a game analyst. They take him as they take him as the co-host of First Take. Quite frankly, I mean, like although that would be fascinating television. So I think again, I, I know you're having to speak of your employer here, but. My instincts and everybody else's instincts are correct here, right? You, would you not be stunned if Nick is not a colleague of yours at some point? It just makes too much sort of sense. Absolutely. And I'll tell you a story that that has been reported uh, primarily because I told a friend of mine who wrote a book, but and you'll recognize the story. But 10 years ago, uh, in May of 2013, I'm going to bring up one of your favorite names here. Uh, I was... Uh, I had just agreed to the deal with ESPN, but it had not come out yet. And I get a call from Nikon. He goes, uh, I'm coming to, I'm coming to uh, Alabama uh, next week. Uh, and if you have, if you have time, I was, I was between jobs. So I had time. Uh, I'd like, I'd like you to pick me up at the airport and drive me to Tuscaloosa. Uh, I drove, uh, I, I drove and I, I'm going to pause for a second, go back six months earlier. And then he knew I knew it. I, I'm at, uh, this is, uh, excuse me, this is six months later. But I, I got the story wrong. I, okay, so I drive him down and he tells me what's going on. I, I drop him off at the university athletic department where he's met by Jimmy Sexton, who is his equal. Uh, and they had dinner that night with Saban and they offered him uh whatever they offered him. I was not privy to that. So six months later, um, I'm at the, I'm at the Rose bowl covering my first national championship game. And, and I'm, I'm I, as you may remember, I, I did game day my first year before the sec network launched. So Nick, uh, has me, he said, I want you to, I want to meet you for lunch at the Langham hotel, the famous hotel out there where, where all the big shots stay. I was not there by the way, I was at a hotel in Glendale and, uh, <laughs> And he he tells uh, you know yeah when you when you have lunch with Nick Khan it's it's like a scene out of The Godfather. Uh, there's you, you're not just you 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 wait for the first per, the person talking to him to to exit. So I I move out. I don't remember who was in front of me, but the guy leaves out leaves. And Nick goes, listen, uh, you know we got we got a little time here, but at some point uh, some things might some people might start showing up. I said whatever. I mean, you know the guy, uh, and I love him to this day. 
about 30, 40 minutes into lunch, I see John Wildhack, John Skipper, and Nick Saban. Saban was out there working. Uh, he His bowl game had already happened. Uh, he was in the Sugar Bowl that year. That was the famous kick six, and they got knocked out of the national championship. And all of a sudden, and, and Nick kind of looked at me like, it's time for you to leave. <laughs> like, you know, so I get up and I, I literally watch this. And they Saban was considering at that moment, 10 years ago, Richard, uh, he he was fed up with football uh, and he was considering. And that was that was the genesis of this that dance that has been going on in the years that Saban didn't play for the national championship. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it's a con sort of like the, the people coming to his table and paying their respects. <laughs> um, so. Paul, do you? I mean, I, again, I think, I think Nick Saban is just very good television. So I think Nick Saban could make it in any forum. But you obviously have a much better sense of Nick Saban than I do. I've never talked to Nick Saban. Would he like? Would a traveling show be of interest to him? Uh, you know, the guy says he's tired, right, and he sort of wants to step away. I'm not saying doing game day is like running a football program, quite frankly, it's not, but like there is a, you know what I mean? Like you do got to travel the, the circuit for however many weeks would that, would that be of interest to him? Let's say versus, um, you know, Nick come to Charlotte and just, you know, you do a, do a one, uh, do a Saturday all day. And then you'd go back home to Alabama. He's always been fascinated by being part of things. Uh, in the, in the million times I've asked him about retirement, he's always said, I've been a part of a team my whole life. So, that fills some of that need, and, and I'll leave it to the critics to decide whether being on the game day set is part of a team or not. Um, but uh, the thing that I wonder about is, as you know, Richard, you, you've been around television. There is there's there's a great deal of excitement, but there's mostly boredom waiting to go on. Uh, and and I, I wonder how he would handle that. Uh, I know in talking to Reese uh, and others, uh, Saban was out there last year uh, for two days for the national title game because he was staying in the room next to me. So I was I, I was watching him uh, come and go. I mean, I think he would like it to a degree, but I, I don't know uh, if he wants to you know sit around and have somebody say, "Hey, coach, uh, do you mind? Uh, we need you to, on the uh, on the eight o'clock Sports Center." Uh, I mean, that does not seem like him. Uh, I, I think he would probably not to be a programmer enjoy doing games more where. Okay, I've got Alabama, Georgia this week. I get to look at film all week. I get to dig down on Friday. I'll talk to the coaches as opposed to game day, which is totally unorthodox at times. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm sure whatever deal Nick signs, he's they're not gonna he's not gonna be doing Sports Center eight o'clock. You know, you could sort of <laughs> it's like the Troy Aikman deal, basically. You know, you sort of do the right. games. That'd be interesting though, because if he is interested in doing games, then if you're ESPN, you gotta think. You, you know, you're not going to knock out the Fowler-Herb Street team. At the same time, you want Nick Saban on massive games. So in many ways, it's an opportunity for them, but also like, you know, like your bosses get paid for, a bit of a tricky personnel kind of a decision. But, but I mean, listen, uh, I mean, game day is a phenomenal product, uh, draws a, a lot of people, but you compare that to the biggest games. or Not, not even close. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think he's... I mean, yeah. I mean, I, th- I I read the same stuff you do. Uh, I don't know any more than than anybody does, but uh, I'm just giving an opinion on knowing Nick Saban and knowing ESPN. Uh, that would be because uh, I mean, game day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's going to be great. I mean, he's analytical. He's fun. I mean, I've seen him be very funny. Uh, it's just he's not a patient person, 
And, uh, you know, I, I spent a year on game day. Now, again, I was the least important person on game day that year. So I basically sat around and watched game day. Uh, and then uh, every hour they called me out there for a two minute uh, appearance. And and uh, that was it. But but, you know, that won't be saving. Uh, but it but it's still there's a lot of. Yeah. Can, is he going to want to hear anybody else's opinion? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Um have you uh, have you made the ask to have him on your show? And do you think that will happen eventually? Uh, not yet. Uh, and I, 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 I more out of deference, like give him time to decompress. Uh, and again, I, I don't know uh, what his arrangement is with with uh, with Pat. So I mean, he may he may have an exclusive deal. Uh, That's right. Yep. Really don't know. Yeah. Okay. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, all right, a couple more things here in this uh sort of uh, is more broad picture for um, you. One of the, you know, you're, um, the thing with your show is, and rightfully so, your callers have gotten in many ways famous themselves in their own sort of respective areas. And so um, I wonder how often you have gotten to know some of your well-known and famous callers personally. Uh, a number of them very well. And I think that's something that's more difficult now. When, when I was in Birmingham, I'm in Charlotte now, uh, I would see them. We would have events. Uh, that's how it all happened. We would have a luncheon uh, for Christmas, uh, you know, 16, 20 at a, at, a, at a restaurant. Then we would have an event before the season that we had maybe. So I got to know a number of them. And 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 you know, we would have them come by. And, and you may have heard me say this once, but uh, every once in a while you have a a terrible tragedy and and i've uh, i've probably spoken at three or four given the eulogy at three or four of the uh, uh funerals and and that that is really uh the, the most tragic uh situation uh we just lost phyllis i know that somebody yeah i want to yeah i, I want to get to her but please go on but, yep. but, the, but the, probably the most difficult thing we've ever done there was a woman, woman named tammy uh who was the auburn version of phyllis from from clanton yeah. And uh, about five years ago, uh, she was killed uh, on, on an interstate with her three year old granddaughter by a truck. And it was the Friday uh, I, I was uh, on the way to Athens, Georgia, for a game to do our Friday show. And we, we had this. We knew the story. We, we didn't. We had the you know, Kirby Smart. We didn't want to upstage the campus. Finally, at five o'clock, we announced the death. And Richard, uh, it was I mean, I've been there for all these sad events. It was the saddest day I've ever spent on the air. And then the next week I went back to Alabama for the funeral. And I mean, it was, I mean, again, you know, she was in her fifties, but the, the, it was the, 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 as I was giving the eulogy, uh, you know, the, the, the three-year-old right to my left was one of the toughest things I've ever dealt with. Ugh, I, can, I can only imagine. Um, for the listeners who don't know this, Phyllis Perkins, who, uh, Paul referred to before. Uh, she was known as uh, within the college football world, within the Feinberg universe, as Phyllis from Mulgar. And um, her call to Paul in 2014, which is sort of a rant on both Colin Coward as well <laughs> as um, 
basically proclaiming that the Bama dynasty has not um, has not died. We will play this. Or we'll a, a, after I ask Paul this question, I'll, I'll we'll we'll get the so as Paul gives us permission, we'll get we'll we'll throw the clip in there sure. so you can hear this. But it is, in my opinion, I've said this before, written in at SI. I think it's the greatest sports talk call of all time she ends it with bama's dynasty has just begun kiss my butt roll tide i'm not even going to do it justice uh with my crappy new york accent but um paul the thing that's amazing to me about phyllis and i man and some of these other callers is that they have stood the test of time which is incredible that it's it's not a paul feinbaum like rant that stands the test of time but it's a call on your show which does which i think just sort of speaks to the passion of college football in the South, that these callers became mini celebrities of their own. And some of these calls, like the one I just referenced, that's from 10 years ago. And the the viewers, when you, if you put this on YouTube today, I guarantee you'd get hundreds of thousands of views if you just threw it out there. Hey, Cal Turd, you, you are just I don't even have a name for you anymore, except Cal Turd. How dare you say that about Alabama? They lose the game. They lose the game, and they lost it to a good team. The team beat Alabama. But how can you say, after the dynasty took all these years, all these decades, one game is going to mean that Saban's dynasty is over. You're out of your freaking mind, Cal Turd. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. And how dare you call me out? You call me out, you're going to get me back. You hear me, you puck? How dare you? I don't understand the way you act towards... It's, it's Bama. That's what it is. It's Bama. You don't hate any team in this nation except for Bama. And you know why? Because they're better than what you've got. Nick Saban is a better man than you are. You could never coach because you don't have a bit of coaching in your body. You have nothing but to sit there and insult and damn and, and, and just carry on about everybody that's doing something different than you. You're jealous. That's the bottom line. You're jealous. And Bama's coming back. Bama has not lost. The dynasty is not over. Do you hear me, Countered? Bama's dynasty has just begun. Kiss my butt. Roll Tide. Yeah, and to me, that's the most important thing I do. Um, and it was the reason they hired me, although I, because I, I know you were there writing about uh, my hire. From from day one, I, I'm not sure they'd ever heard any of these people. They just they they just say, okay, we got a we got a talk show that's deep embedded in the South. But uh, we're, we're a Connecticut company, and we want to we want to we want to get bigger in the South. Let's but, face it. I mean, after a couple of months, I got some looks like, why did we do this? Um, but that's to me is what it's about. Uh, I, I feel like we have the most passionate conference in the world of fans, and this is their form, and they adapted to it. And as much as it was different than what it used to be. Uh, they love the idea of being on television and national radio and being heard. And it helps that I, I have gotten to know them. I, I, and Richard, I, I do feel like I know them. Uh, we have a, we had a young man that called from Texas the other day. He's going to, he, he talked about his, uh, his, his physical and mental challenges. Uh, that's what we do. Uh, and, and the Phyllis call, uh, you know, really embodied that, uh, we've had a couple of other calls. I mean, obviously 
you know, when, whenever I die, this, uh, you know, it's going to be Paul Feinbaum, comma, who took the call in 2011 from Harvey Updike. He's the guy that poisoned the trees. I, I know you've referenced it. And my, my wife actually asked me about it today. We're, we're taping this the day after Martin Luther King Day. We got a call in 2008. Um, that was really one of the most surprising calls. Uh, I wasn't, I was, you're, you're half listening and this, I, I, I won't uh, upstage it in case you decide to play it. But the, the story about that guy, Jay from Huntsville, that you'll appreciate, um, that call helped, uh, a friend of mine worked at the Times. Uh, it was a, a, a young lady I went to elementary school with. She heard it. She nominated it for an award at Columbia University. Um, and we were award, we were among the honorees. So I went to Columbia in, in, uh, in May of 20, 2008. And, and it was, a, it was a, it was a race and diversity seminar of, of, of people from, from the industry. And I could see, I, I felt bullets, uh, aimed at me the entire time. Here's some guy from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and I tried to endear them, but I, but I, I finally said, I, I want to play something for you here at the end. I played that call and the beginning of when the guy admitted he was uh, his father was in the Klan or the grand. I mean, some of the looks from people at the New York Times and the Boston Globe. And then I just kind of took a deep breath. And finally, we got to the end of the call uh, and uh, I was able to get out of there in one piece. Jay is next in Huntsville. Hello, Lou Jay. Hello, Paul. What's happening? Oh, not much. Hey, uh. On the conversation uh, Monday, uh, I enjoyed it, by the way. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I got a little tale of my own. Paul, I uh, grew up in uh, Alabama and uh, was raised as a uh, racist. Were you? And I was very proud of it. My uh, father was in the KKK. All my uncles were. But in 1967, uh, I joined the uh, Marine Corps. I uh, considered myself... Uh, strong, brave, and stupid, so I wanted to go to Vietnam, mm. and I got my wish. Uh, first day there, <clears throat> as big a redneck as I was, I met probably uh, the most militant acting and talking uh, black person that was ever uh, on the face of the earth. Less than an hour after we met, we tried to kill each other. Uh, and we tried to kill each other for the next couple of weeks, about every day, till our gunny sergeant took us aside and said, next time that happens, you're going home on a bad conduct discharge. So we put aside our differences <clears throat> and uh, turned out to be fair soldiers. We uh, uh, still had strong animosity, uh, but over the next 20 Every the next two years, uh, he saved my life a couple of times. I saved his a couple of times. And we didn't, neither one of us, want to leave Vietnam. <clears throat> we spent 22 of, 22 of the 24 months, between 67 and 69, there. Two months we were uh, being treated in the Philippines. But in 69, we, uh, we both had to, uh, <clears throat> had to uh, leave. And uh, I moved back to uh, Alabama and went to school. He moved back to Detroit and uh, and uh, resumed his ways. Uh, after I got out of college, as dumb as I was, I managed to get an engineering degree. 
<laughs> and uh, I talked to him a few times over those years. We had become, uh, I guess you could call, friends. And he was not having it too good in Detroit. And I said, well, come on down here. Well, you can go to work for the same company I am. So he did. And he wound up working for me. Wow. And he uh, <clears throat> he uh, he decided he'd go to school and get his degree, which he did. And he decided he wanted to outdo me, which he always did. He went on and got his master's degree. And I wound up working for him. <laughs> and 32 years ago, come uh, April 3rd of this year, Paul, I will have been married to his sister for 32 years. Wow. Uh, we both had... Uh, so now you're, you're, now you're, wor- you're working for her. Yeah, he was the best man at my wedding. That's incredible. Uh, that's a, that's had, an incredible story. We had two story. sons apiece. All four of them graduated uh, from University of Alabama. And anybody ever tell you this would be a good book? Yeah, probably would be. Nobody believe it. <laughs> this this would be a great book and movie. But uh, we've uh, we've had a good life, and uh, he lives about uh, three houses down now, and we still uh, we still try to. Uh, lie as much as we can about our war war exploits but uh <laughs> it just goes show prove uh goes to prove paul that uh <clears throat> anything can happen to a former racist you never know that uh really is an incredible story uh just a, just an extraordinary uh piece of uh, history there well he uh he turned out to be a lot better than i thought he was at first and i hope i did too <laughs> That's the most impactful call I've ever heard on your show. I've had at least 15 people from Hollywood over the years call me, ask you to contact that guy, and we never found him. I know that, which is amazing. Yeah, it's sort of like the 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 white whale to, to try to find that guy again. On the reverse side, I don't know if this happened this week, Paul, last week. You had a guy call in basically defending Richard Nixon, correct? Like the, it's yeah. Richard Nixon's lawyer, basically. <laughs> He's a, he's, a, he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, he's in his late 60s, early 70s from St. Louis. And he 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 was defending Nixon. He, he, he was attacking the press for the way they treated Nixon. And, and Richard, there's a million things I know nothing about. Richard Nixon happens to be someone I am a student of. I was a, I was a, in high school. Uh, it the Woodward and Bernstein was my inspiration to go into the journalism. I studied it. I, I revered those guys. Um, and I must I, I probably have read 20 books on Richard Nixon. Uh, I watched the Watergate hearings. Uh, and, and so, again, you could ask me uh, who are you know, give me 12 coaches in the NFL. I might not be able to tell you, but I can I can go through the Nixon years chapter and verse. And this guy was trying to tell me that the press mistreated Nixon, which I just went crazy over. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, we're now living in an era, many ways, up is down, white is black, et cetera. I appreciated you at least sort of pushing back a little bit on like, listen, man, like, <laughs> let's get some sense of reality here. You know, well, the funniest thing is he, he, he said uh, he said Richard E. Nixon. I said, no, 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 no. M- and he said his I mean, he started yelling at me. The guy's got a little bit of you know anger management problem. He started screaming. His name is Richard. I said his name. First of all, I've never heard of Richard E. Nixon. Uh, 
And then, you know, we put it up from, uh, you know, whitehouse.gov. He said, well, you're wrong. I said, no, I'm not wrong. <laughs> he said, the M, uh, the M stands for Emmett. I said, Emmett's spelled with an E. Uh, uh, not, uh, it's not Mill, Millhouse is his middle name. So, I mean, it, it was such a bizarre conversation that it was, it, it, it almost felt like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. Maybe he's thinking of Robert E. Lee as opposed to. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Let's sort of uh, finish up with um, with this. The as we hit the fall for ESPN, Paul, uh, SEC football takes center stage with your company. The CBS deal is over. Uh, you make the argument maybe the greatest media deal of all time. By the way, given what they they paid essentially nothing for it in television terms, and we're able to roll with that. At the same time, give CBS credit; they absolutely helped push the SEC nationally. But now, um, now the the main football. Uh, package goes to your network. I would think just to extrapolate it to your own personal situation. Is this not great for you? Because you, again, you are, you are, you, you are, I'm not sure there's another ESPN and maybe Laura Rutledge. Like there's not many other people who are more identified with ESPN and the SEC than you. And now they're going to, um, they're going to be much more invested in SEC football than ever before. Yeah, I'm not one of these that just push uh, narratives out, uh, but this is probably the upcoming season is the most exciting season I've ever encountered. A uh, couple of reasons. Number 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 one and two, you got Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC. While this deal takes it and goes into effect, you have the playoff, which is 12 teams versus four. And so everything is different. And yeah, you know, I mean, we are we are really excited. At, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned Laura because she's someone. Well, yeah, she's you phenomenal. know how I feel about Laura Rutledge. Yeah, you. I mean, uh, you know, not that you, not that you're gonna, you know, not that you you can make this happen. But uh, let's tell Jimmy Pitaro and Burke Magnus to like get that get that signature on the dotted line. Don't don't be doing anything stupid and letting that negotiation play out too long. You don't want well, to lose I, someone that yeah, talented. Yeah, listen, I, she's my, one of my closest friends. Uh, and I, I mean, I think she, I, I joked with her uh, five, six years ago, seven years ago when she started SEC Nation. I said, Laura, uh, 10 years from now, I'm going to be walking down Fifth Avenue I'll be retired and, uh, you know, sightseeing and I'm going to run into you and, and I'm going to say, hey, Laura, and you're going to look at me like, who are you? Because you're going to be the host of the Today Show. Um, so uh, she she's a she's a she's megastar. I know you agree. Yeah. And the irony of that is the New Yorker will be trailing you, Paul, for yet another follow up <laughs> story. So everything will. Uh, that is one of my uh, that's how we got. I think that was our introduction a few years ago. It was. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, it. it, it you have obviously earned your success, but also in some ways, and you're the first to admit this, which I've always respected from you, in some ways, like happenstance has to happen sometimes for someone to get a certain break. And for you, that was that story. I think you would concur, right? That story changed oh, your life. Uh, I'll, I'll, in in the summer of 2012, my contract was ending uh, a couple of months later uh, at, at the local radio station. And uh, I got a call. I got an email from a a, a guy uh, named Reeves Weidman, who who was a blogger uh, from the New Yorker. He so we ended up decided agreeing to meet. And this is the funniest part of the story. I had three, uh, and I'm not going to go through the story again. But there were three people I was meeting with. Um, I had a meeting with a famous agent uh, that I, I was looking for an agent. Uh, I had a meeting with Reeves. 
But the other meeting was at Sports Illustrated with one of your colleagues. I was doing a column for them at the time. And I remember running into you and we were yapping about the media. And and, and it was uh, that was the first time I ever met you. But it, it turned out that I sat down with uh, Reeves uh, at the end. I, I'd had a terrible meeting with this super agent. You may remember the story. Basically told me you're not going. You're not. No, ESPN's not hiring you. Um, you're, you're a local yokel. Um, and I, I came out of there. My world was upside down. I met uh, I met uh, Reeves at the at the Ritz Carlton down the street from uh, from this meeting, uh, which was at, in the in the building. What's the Apple where the Apple uh, store is? Um, and at, at uh, Central Park South. And he said, uh, I was not even listening because I thought the guy's going to do a blog on me and I really don't care. He said, yeah, you know, I, I met with David Remnick and David Remnick believes that we need a uh, we haven't had a college football profile in 10 years. And uh, we think you're the guy. And I'm like going really? Are you serious? <laughs> he said, we think six, 7,000 words. And it came out six months later. And the next day uh, I got a book deal and ESPN brought me in and okay, I can speak. I, I don't need to go through the rest. The rest is history. And um, again, this is where this like, sometimes you need happenstance in life. So David Remnick has a big sports background. He's a huge sports fan <laughs> for a guy who's right. Who's into news and China and Russia and all this stuff. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, in 1983, and I, I reminded him of this uh, when I, I, I met him one day, I said uh, there were there were three sports writers in the uh, press box at the old R RFK Stadium in D.C. covering a USFL game between the, the Washington Federals and the Birmingham Stallions. And he was sitting next to me. I mentioned it when I met him, whenever it was, a couple of years ago. He gave me the stats on the game. This is the most famous uh, magazine editor in the world, and he still remember that. That's amazing. And so what if that editor of The New Yorker, right, is just someone with a, like, foreign uh, reporting background or a Washington background? Well, that person's not probably interested in college football in the South, then that story doesn't exist. So sometimes in life, uh, you just, you need happenstance. And, and in your case, uh, it's a great example of that. All right, Paul Feinbaum hosts the aptly named The Paul Feinbaum Show, heard on ESPN Radio. SEC Network, Sirius XM Channel 81, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7. Also affiliates around the South, if you're listening to that part of the United States. Um, his show will obviously continue with uh, all sorts of Alabama and uh, Nick Saban stuff. Paul, it's great to catch up with you. I think you literally have had 87 of my colleagues on from The Athletic in the last couple of weeks. So I'm sure they appreciate that. And um, it's good to catch up with you. I'm sure we will talk again. Um, and I always appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the Sports Media Podcast. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Richard. Thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Paul Feinbaum for uh, coming on and giving me some time. Uh, head to the archives. There should be some stuff you like. Uh, also, uh, in the last couple of weeks, Karen Brotkin and Hillary Mandel of Endeavor. If you like behind-the-scenes stuff, they are uh, advisors and help put together massive media deals. Uh, they just did the NCAA's deal with ESPN. So if you like the business of uh, the sports media, you'll be interested in that. James Andrew Miller came on to talk about Pat McAfee. We had the producer and director of the College Football National Championship, Bill Bunnell and Jimmy Platt of ESPN. Hubie Brown was on this podcast not too long ago. Uh, had uh, Ernie Johnson of Inside the NBA, Laura Rutledge. Uh, again, there should be things in the archives you like if you do like the stuff please leave us a five-star review and a, and a note that's uh, that's how this podcast continues no bullshit on that want to thank patrick antonetti for his uh his work thanks everybody at odyssey for their support and thank you for listening we'll see you soon on the sports media podcast